Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called My Name is Legion. It's based upon the lectionary text for Sunday, June the 23rd, 2013. The Gospel this week in Luke chapter 8 about the Gerasene demoniac reads like an X-rated story. A nameless man has been exiled to the margins of human existence. He's filthy naked in public. He can't control his speech. He's so violent that people can't come near him. All attempts to restrain him have failed. He exhibits the most common form of self-harm even today, self-mutilation. The ideology of the day added it all up and called it demon possession. My name is Legion, this homeless man screamed, for we are many. Tortured in body, mind, and spirit, he embodied the gamut of human suffering. For a Roman, Roman legion consisted of 5,000 soldiers. And so his community did what we still do today. They banished the man to the safe and solitary margins of society. The story is so disturbing that Matthew's condensed version doesn't even mention that Jesus healed the man. Rather, all three synoptics focus on the people's fear of Jesus and their anger at their economic loss. When they saw this derelict man completely healed and the drowned pigs, we read, All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Nothing comes easier than demonizing another person. The Stanford anthropologist René Girard spent his distinguished career describing mimetic desire and the scapegoat mechanism to control social violence. If we're honest, each one of us could say, my name is Legion. We're a mysterious mixture of genetics, geography, family of origin, personal choices, in God's providential care. Our wisest guides also insist that there are so many things that we don't understand about ourselves. Paul confessed to his readers in Rome, I do not understand what I do. Back in the fourth century, John Cassian traveled from his home in Romania to Bethlehem, where he joined a monastery. From Bethlehem, he made two extended visits to the monasteries of Egypt. He then moved on to Constantinople. Cassian later settled back in Marseille, France, founded two monasteries, and wrote three books. His conferences and institutes chronicle the riches of early monasticism based upon his personal experiences and in so doing, they transplanted that monastic influence back to the West. Cassian is full of praise for the monks, but he's also remarkably candid. Just what did they discover when they fled the corruptions of the city to the lonely interior of the desert?
Well, they experienced a raging battle in the geography of the human heart, a veritable legion of voices. And so Cassian wonders aloud, and I quote, Why is it that superfluous thoughts insinuate themselves into us so subtly and hiddenly when we do not even want them, and indeed do not even know of them, that it is very difficult not only to cast them out, but even to understand them and to catch hold of them. That's only the beginning. Here's a laundry list of maladies that I underlined in his two books. Lethargy, sleeplessness, bad dreams, impulsive urges, self-justification, self-deception, seething anger about trivial matters, sexual fantasies, pious pretense that masks as virtue, clerical ambition, crushing despair, confusion, wild mood swings, flattery, and lust. And these are only the symptoms that we know. Cassian writes, there are many things that lie hidden in my conscience which are known and manifest to God, even though they may be unknown and obscure to me. Cassian admits these things without any embarrassment, nor does he despise anyone in belittling fashion for their frailties. These monks were brutally realistic about the flighty wandering of the human mind, and unfailingly tender because of it. Back in 2007, Mother Teresa's book, Come Be My Light, shocked people with its descriptions of profound spiritual darkness that haunted her for 50 years. She writes that she didn't practice what she preached and laments the stark contrast between her exterior demeanor and her interior desolation. She says, The smile is a big cloak which covers a multitude of pains. My cheerfulness is a cloak by which I cover the emptiness and misery. I deceive people with this weapon. Mother Teresa describes the absence of God's presence in many ways, as emptiness, loneliness, pain, spiritual dryness, or lack of consolation. She writes, There's so much contradiction in my soul, no faith, no love, no zeal. I find no words to express the depths of the darkness. My heart is so empty, so full of darkness, I don't pray any longer. The work holds no joy, no attraction, no zeal. I have no faith, I don't believe. She rebukes herself as what she calls a shameless hypocrite for teaching her sisters one thing while experiencing something far different. And so the cynic in this week's psalm taunts us, Where is your God? And the psalmist likewise begs, Lord, why have you forgotten and rejected me? And in the Old Testament reading, Elijah says, I've had enough. When Jezebel threatened to murder Elijah, he rightly feared for his life. After retreating into the desert with a death wish, 
Angels rescued him and sent him back to Oreb, to the mountain of God. There he entered a cave where the word of the Lord spoke to him. God spoke to Elijah, but not like he expected. Standing on Mount Horeb, a great and powerful wind blasted the mountain and shattered the rocks, but we read, the Lord was not in the wind. Then an earthquake shook the earth, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Fire scorched the land, but the text reads, but the Lord was not in the fire. After these dramatic acts of nature, the narrator says, there came a gentle whisper. In that faint but discernible whisper, God spoke to Elijah. And perhaps that's how he speaks to us today in our own extremities. Do not fear. I am with you. You are mine. I have called you by name. For books this week, I review a memoir by Chief Justice Sonia Sotomayor. The title, My Beloved World, New York Knopf, 2013, 315 pages. Sonia Sotomayor was a young girl when she knew she wanted to become a judge. There were just a few obstacles. She was born to Puerto Rican immigrants in the tenement projects of the Bronx, better known for drugs, poverty, gangs, and violence. Spanish was the first language at home. When she was seven, she was diagnosed with type 1 juvenile diabetes and started giving herself daily insulin shots. When she was nine, her alcoholic father died, leaving his wife a single mom at the age of 36. No one in the family ever had a bank account. But Sotomayor's native optimism and stubborn perseverance paid off. After 12 years of Catholic parochial schools, and after a classmate explained to her what the Ivy League was, she went to Princeton on a full scholarship. She graduated summa cum laude, won Princeton's highest award for a graduating senior, and was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. After Yale Law School, she worked for the New York District Attorney's Office, and then at the private company Pavia in Harcourt. At the tender age of 36, she was nominated as a federal district court judge. Her Supreme Court appointment came in 2009. Sotomayor writes in an informal style and with unusual candor and vulnerability about her unlikely pilgrimage, both personally and professionally. Her failed marriage, her frumpy appearance and dress, her three-and-a-half-pack-a-day smoking habit that she quit, a failed summer internship in law school, her chronic insecurities about being an outsider, her ferocious drive and fear of failure, and her re aloof relationship with her mother. And she's refresh refreshingly gracious, 
I would never claim to be a self-made person, she says. She acknowledges the mystery of fate that she ended up where she is, while many others in her family and neighborhood experience drastically different fates. The only disappointing thing about this book, which she concedes in the introduction, is that it ends 20 years ago when she became a federal judge. The book includes 16 pages of photos. Chief Justice Sonia Sotomayor, My Beloved World. For movies this week, I review Portlandia, 2012. This is season two, not to be confused with season one, which is also reviewed earlier on Journey with Jesus. Writers, producers, and stars Carrie Brownstein, who was in the indie girls rock band Slater Kinney for 12 years, and Fred Armisen, who starred at Saturday Night Live for 10 years, continue their satirical ways in the second season of their hit television show that deconstructs the hipster culture of Portland. The mayor, for example, works on his core by sitting on a big blue exerball in his office. In one episode, overweening parents prep their son on getting into shooting star private school. At the interview, his father brags, over the years, he became bigger and bigger. It's amazing. Another skit spoofs addiction to TV. In the allergy pride parade, one side says, bread hurts my head. There's a mixologist, a zero packaging grocery store, a dog park, personally carved ice cubes, and a ban on plastic bags because they cause pelican cancer. There are also great one-liners like, I didn't want to think of myself as someone who can't deal with tattoos. But let's be fair, Portland isn't the only place with shops like Artisan Knots, Oblique Coffee, and a bookstore called Women and Women First. Seasons one and two each have six episodes. Each episode is 20 minutes. I watch them all on Netflix streaming. Portlandia, 2012, Season 2. And finally, for poems and prayers this week, we continue our Celtic ways with a posting called The Blessing of God. It's taken from Esther DeWall's book, The Celtic Vision. The blessing of God and the Lord be yours. The blessing of the perfect spirit be yours. The blessing of the three be pouring for you, mild and generously, mild and generously. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June the 23rd, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.